everyone, welcome to Can't Find My Way Home, the podcast where expats from around the globe talk about the music and art scene in their adopted home. I'm your host, Craig. In this episode of Can't Find My Way Home, I was joined by David Stewart Ingelson. David joined me from his home in Berlin and he takes us through his expat and musical journey. After leaving Australia in 2000, with a brief stay in London, David first settled in Munich and has now been living in Berlin for the past few years. We talk about the differences between Munich and Berlin, not only as places to live, but also where you can really flourish as an artist. I'll let you work out which city. We get into his passion for playing the banjo, his band the Yonder Boys and their unique setup, how to deal with bluegrass traditionalists, as well as the open mic he runs every Sunday. The top five features Whitney Houston, Ed Sheeran, Dolly Parton, supporting Billy Bragg in Munich, why Towns Van Zandt isn't better known, and trying to fit a double bass into a taxi. Let's get right to it. David Stewart Ingleton. I spent my last year in Australia in 2000, and that was the time I was finishing my last year as a, a, sh- a cooking ap- apprentice. I was being a chef, and I was, you know, playing in bands in Sydney and stuff like that when I was younger, but nothing, nothing to write home about. But then I was at this workplace and i met a lot of europe europeans going through and stuff like that so i decided to pack up all my stuff after my apprenticeship and just move to england and i moved to london like all the other australians did at the time you know, right. get our two-year visa and one one year working one mm. year holiday visa and try to skip out on it or hide under the radar for a couple more years or something what of other people have got many other diff- different interesting stories but I didn't even last the two years because I was living in England and London and it was really expensive and I was working like a dog and I didn't have much money to spend and go out and enjoy myself. So I, I really enjoyed uh, in Australia when I was watching films, I was watching a lot of German films. So I just I sort of like went through Germany on a holiday, went through Europe and I realized when I was going through that I was like, oh, the Germans could sort of speak English pretty well. Maybe I'll just try and get a job, try and move country, try and instead of go from Australia to England to get a an actual culture shock because going from Sydney to London is is the difference is this much. It's really nothing. Exactly. The only, the only yeah, thing that's different is it's the weather is the only thing that's a difference. In somewhere like Sydney, you've got uh, Australians, uh, English people, British people living in you know in one house, twenty five people at a time, and in, Austra- in in London you have the same thing with the Australians living like that so it's kind of uh that's just the that's the culture how we how the english and the australians are dealing with each other's countries going and spending a couple of months partying working traveling having a great time i don't i after that after i after the first couple of months i was kind of like yeah this is really similar so i just i tried my luck i i, I went to munich not really knowing what i would do so first i moved to munich and uh, i was there and I, w- I lived there and worked there for almost 12 years in the end because i was uh cooking and working in a in a, a bar managing playing music in a band there and it was great it was a great life munich's a bubble city it's it's a real bubble where you can earn a real good amount of money have a very very comfortable life beer gardens everywhere you ride your bike to work ride your bike back from work 
and you can go into the, the the beautiful parks. The mountains are nearby in the winter. You can go snowboarding if you want to and skiing. It's a, it's a lovely, lovely place. It's, it's super ultra conservative, and that's the problem where I was playing music there, and I, I think we went once or twice out to do a kind of tour and play a couple of shows, but we really... We didn't have this community, this local community. So I, I, I found it really, really hard to to be a musician and sort of make that next step when I was in a place, a very, very conservative town like Munich is. I, I came to Berlin in the end because I broke up with a girlfriend and felt like shit and said, you know, fuck it, this is the last straw. If I, if I don't do it ever, I'm never going to do it. So I, I moved to Berlin because I was speaking to a couple of friends who were German people, and they said, "Come to Berlin, and you can get a change your visa, get a working uh, an artist visa, and then you just start start doing that. You just go for it. You're trying to get meet people, you 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 network, you then go and uh, try and find people to play, maybe in a band, or you go on different people's projects. You work as a musician doing that, or in anything you can do, advertisements, playing music in a studio. But I, I mean, I, I made, I made my way in different, different ways, which I can tell you about, but that was the, the last straw for me was just like, okay, that's it. I'm never, I've always wanted to be a musician full time. I never wanted to stay in cooking forever or in gastronomy forever. And I sort of took that step, that leap out of Munich into Berlin and sort of changed my whole career almost at the same time. I did the first six months, a little bit of cooking in Berlin, but slowly but surely I, I, I gave it the boot, you know. It's not really true. I still work in a bar now and again, but I'm not cooking anymore. I haven't cooked in a restaurant <laughs> kitchen for five years, and it, it's it's been a, a joy. It's really been a joy. It's like reverse therapy. Yeah. Oh, I mean, this, this now this is a place. The kitchens are a place where people are much acting a lot more like rock and roll uh, stars than people think. I think the the musicians these days are taking less drugs than the cooks. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> from my experience in, in the would. past, oh yes. I don't know. I don't know. Musicians these days that I know, I don't think many people can really afford to have too much of a party compared to maybe what they used to a couple of years ago. You know, Berlin's uh, moving. I mean, it's it's getting more expensive faster than any other European city, supposedly, at the moment. So, mm. Is it the uh, kind of gentrification factor? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's very, very quick. Uh, the, the city, it's, I mean, the prices of apartments and things to buy have it's doubled in the last five years, maybe more so. And yeah, of course, the, the this this factor of the play, I guess, big players like Google and and tell Tesla is trying to move into Berlin, and people are sort of mm. trying to keep them at bay and not get them in because as soon as they do, then it's it's completely lost. Uh, as, as always, people move to a city like this. As I move to a city like this because it's cool. It's a great place to be. You, you can network. You can see great art, listen to great music. But in the end, you're you're destroying it, aren't you? This has been a cultural hub for for many many years a couple of centuries i would say <laughs> and uh, yeah, i'm sure they've seen many many different changes one thing that's sort of keeping people come people people coming I, I guess a lot of more startup companies corporations people working in the business sector and less artists but i still see a lot of artists coming at the moment i'm not sure when that's going to stop i'm not sure we're not kicked out yet we haven't been kicked out we're keeping putting up a good front i still you still got a stronghold in there you got a foot in the door even with the corona even with corona there's there's still people trying to organize brand new nights where there's live music being played and it's not just like the folk scene that we are in there's experimental music, there's experimental jazz, there's there's techno, there's all different types of music, all different types of music. And everyone's really, really pushing always to keep this culture alive, which is, you know, 
what people are coming essentially here for, not just the cheap apartment to buy because the apartments in Munich or Stuttgart are too expensive now. So you've got to move to Berlin, right. which is mainly why the Germans are moving here a lot of the time. Tough, but yeah, it's a great place still. It's still a fantastic place. Uh, musical influences, David, would you say you're, you've always been, because this acid folk genre, is that how you would describe the, the music you're playing with a yonder voice? Well, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we do Americana. We started doing Americana. I, I, Jason's the other lead singer, the guitarist in the band, and we, we met in Munich about 10 years ago, I suppose, and we're doing, uh, he was doing indie folk, in rock, and I was doing rock music and we we met each other through a through a friend from ireland and and she was like oh you guys should meet you guys are really like singing and you like to do harmony singing and and i'm like sure let's let's meet up and i met and when we chatted and we we just got together for fun and i was only starting the banjo like i literally hadn't actually hadn't started the banjo i only picked it up to bring to his place to jam and see if i could pluck the banjo while i was singing and i i picked it up pretty easily singing's easier for me than playing so I can sing and sort of do something with my hands. Maybe it's not really good, but I, I know I can I can get away with it, which I have done for a long time. But yeah, it's I mean we did folk, we we uh, we did rock before we did indie, and now with Yonder Boys uh, we started in 2017. Tomas is uh, from Chile, and he's uh, he's got the studio in Berlin, which is where we recorded the album. So he's in about four other bands. He plays in uh, some different. Uh, so South American bands, Chilean bands, a bit Brazilian style, all these different uh, sort of South American styles of music. He's got two bands with that. He's got another Americana band. He plays rock. He He's plays the stand-up bass in the video. Yeah, he plays the stand-up bass in the video. But he also on the album and live, he he has the double bass in his hand and he picks up the mandolin and then he plays a mandolin and he plays wild mandolin. He plays completely incredible double bass. He plays spotless picking, uh, flat picking guitar. He plays banjo as you know you know, and he also does I don't know, he, he can't play fiddle, but he can do pretty much everything else and um he can sing too. He sing <laughs> things sing third voice. Guys, he's great, he's fantastic. But uh, that's what I mean, like with with all our styles and stuff, we, we're not strict mm. bluegrass people, we're not strict Americana people, but we love the music. We all love the music. I think that's and, great. Uh, that adds a set, that adds a kind of different that adds your own flavor. Exactly. To your own exactly. Touch to it. I mean, you can't, you're not going to say that we're, we're going to be able to go. We can go to bluegrass festivals. We are allowed to go because they're really trying to get new people to come and watch these very, very right. conservative events. So they say the Westport, Irish uh, Westport Bluegrass and Americana Festival now. And the, uh, there's a bluegrass festival we're playing at next year in Rotterdam Bluegrass Festival, but they're allowing us to come because like you know what's good it's a bit americana it's a bit this it's a bit that it's going to bring new people and to check out all the music so it's a good thing that we're doing it i we we sort of you get i don't know why everyone gets worried about like that there's purists out there saying that's not bluegrass and like we know it's not bluegrass <laughs> we, we accept that we don't, never said we're playing bluegrass people always say bluegrass roots or something like that so we we like to say it's a bit psychedelic because the way with the way we recorded the album it's a lot of uh with these different space echo effects and all this different stuff so it wasn't a very dry room that we used we tried to mix the, the the whole album differently and the songs like the the great american pussy grab song and the il pesce spada the house carpenter song they're all very strange and different to be put into an album that's supposedly just straight americana it does surf rock 
great American pussy grab sort of surf rock kind of psychedelia, you would say, and that, that's sort of like where that's coming from. But also, was it there was kind of, on some of the, uh, the Beach Boys in there or something ex- as well? I exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's a real beach. It's just a straight Beach Boys ripoff song, but it's, it's. I mean, the the lyrics. If you listen to the lyrics, you sort of get it. And uh, it's all about the politics, all about Donald Trump at the time. And uh, great video as well. Yeah, that that was made in Berlin by a friend of ours, uh, a friend who does also Michael Brinkworth's videos as well. Nick Nick Scholey, and uh, he's fantastic as well. So yeah, we've. Uh, yeah, we're dabbling in different different genres. We're scooping back into our into our pasts and bringing forward some sort of different genres that we've maybe played before, but we can sort of slip them in just for fun, and that sort of keeps people interested. I mean, the reviews we're getting, we've got a lot of promotion getting pushed out a lot over the place the last year, and the reviews are always like you know very positive towards what 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 it is, and it's something special and something different, and people haven't heard that mix of music before, which some people are quite excited about. So, yeah, that's Acid Folk. I don't know. Is it Acid Folk? But, um. <laughs> sounds good to me. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I mean, it sounds like it, and it looks like you're having a great time in the video. It's a kind of live video with the three you performing, and your, your buddy Thomas is playing the guitar or a, ma- or a banjo, I think, to start with for you, and then halfway through the song he puts it down and then picks up the bass. Oh, right. That's the rabbit song. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Rabbit song. There we go. Yeah. That was yeah. cool. That's a great video. Did you take all that in one shot? That's a one shot video. Uh, I think it's two shots altogether. We did it double. We did it twice. We might have skipped a little bit at the, at the end, but it was pretty much all one shot. We've got another video coming up for the new Bohemians. Same spot. Same idea, and that was that's a complete one shot video as well. But that's the rabbit rabbit song is played with two banjos, one nylon string and one steel string banjo, and we're playing that. And the recorded version has got the bass and the banjos through the whole thing. But Tomas just at, at live the live version, yeah, he takes down the banjo halfway through the song, picks up the double bass, and fin- finishes <laughs> it like this. That no, crazy, no, but it's though. it's so cool because he pumps that bass at the end, and it's just like really lifts oh, you the really, song. Really hear it, I mean, and it yeah, it feels fantastic. I, I think for the audience, they, they love it. But for us too, I'm just like, wow, when that comes, I'm just like, it, yeah, <laughs> it makes me crazy. It's great. Yeah, he's so, he's really, really good at it. And, uh, yeah, he's uh, definitely a wonderful man. A bit of a, they've got a bit of a nightmare to get in a taxi, though, those double bases, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're, you're having to get from one place to another. <laughs> Uh, it's yeah, it's a, um, luckily, luckily enough, we we don't have to do that too often. But I mean, every time we're we're hiring cars and going on tour, we have to make sure we have to we've got enough space. We're we're, we're lucky. Um, we're lucky because we have a uh, a very small setup. We have the the banjos, two banjos, three banjos, guitar, double bass, and the microphone. This this actual microphone that I'm using here. That's all we have. We don't have to bring amplifiers or, or anything like that. So we can tour very lightly. If we don't have a car, we can take a train everywhere. So it's a, it's a good thing, and it's just it saves us, uh, gives us a lot of gigs, gives us a lot of tours, saves us a lot of money. Not having to hire a huge car because we don't have to take a drum kit, we don't have to take amplifiers and pedal boards and all these different things that bands usually need, and uh, we can. Uh, tour and make uh, make enough money to survive, which is really really good. So, another thing, another great thing about the about the band, we're light. What about your your, your relationship with the banjo? Then you started as a guitar player, like predominantly you learned guitar as yeah a teenager or so, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. smashing the guitar. What, <laughs> what was yeah. the step into the banjo? Because it's a kind of 
I, I wouldn't say it's an unusual move, but it's kind of slightly unorthodox, you know. It's it's weird. Uh, I had I always was was playing with my last band in Munich, and we had a, a we had these nights where we would uh, we would play some gigs, and there were kind of in a bar that was, I don't know, it was just a, a bar that was connected to a theater. People would come in, the people asked us to come and play. And we needed a few new songs. And it was a really, we walked into the bar and the bar is a real country music themed looking thing. So we decided we should do some country songs. And then slowly I started listening to Hank Williams because I, I know I knew Hank Williams, I liked Hank Williams. And I thought we should do some punk versions of Hank Williams songs because that would be fun because he's cool. And then I started listening more and more to Hank Williams and I started getting really, really hooked every now and then. And then I would listen to Hank Williams for a couple of weeks and nonstop. I just can't listen to anything else. But <laughs> but I, I love him and I love, you know, Johnny Cash as well. And um, mm. at this this step, just having to try and learn a couple of these songs, I think got us got me more interested into into country the banjo just came because I I, start, I started listening to again to, to some others like uh, Earl Scruggs and stuff like that as well. Just because it was just an extra step, just listening to more and more of this type of music, and it really hit me as soon as I heard banjo. I wanted to play these sort of little riffs on the guitar, mm. and was trying to emulate what a banjo sounds like. And uh, so then I just just said, "Screw it!" You know, I'm going to buy a banjo. My band's mates at the time said, "You're not." buying a fucking banjo and you're not playing a banjo <laughs> in this band like luckily luckily enough we we sort of broke up about i guess uh maybe a year or two later or something like that and i i immediately bought a banjo so <laughs> and uh and that was it you know i, I bought one i'm like yeah i'm gonna learn how to use it and because uh, i was really i was i was just so keen it was so punk it was more because we were playing punk and punk rock and that the banjo list i listened to the banjo and that seemed more punk rock than anything because punk has been just done again and again and again with guitars and drums and bass mm. right. I'm like that's is that punk anymore it's always the same thing it's it's mainstream it's it's i mean what a banjo is not mainstream a banjo is never never going to be mainstream not even with the Mumford and Sons or something like that. Yeah, there was one banjo a, a couple of albums ago or something, but real banjo played like Earl Scruggs picking like crazy fast. I was just like, mm. oh, that's that's my next step. I, I wanna I wanna play that fast. I've always wanted to be able to play a musical instrument super quick. And um yeah, I started doing it and I started learning because I moved into a apartment in Munich that was behind a folk music guitar shop and banjo shop and the banjo and the teacher there was any coincidence I, I knew he was there <laughs> i knew he was there and i and, and it was an uncanny coincidence that i moved behind the shop into this place with a friend of mine i was just i walked in and i said i need a banjo lesson and the guy's like great no problem and he's like one of the best banjo players in europe and he's a picker it's uh his name's rudiger helbig and he has a the folk laden in munich he's a pretty sort of well-known guy in the area if you if you're a musician everybody knows rudiger very very funny strange looking guy <laughs> but he's fantastic he's a fantastic banjo player he's really really unbelievable playing be playing for 35 40 years by now and he's a very very good picker he's been to nashville a couple of times and played there and things like that so i had this teacher who had a few days free or hours free every every week so i did that for quite a long time 
And um, until I moved away from Munich, I guess I guess I was I was doing lessons with him. And I, at the beginning, I was really like never like I was with guitar. I was picking for three hours straight every day, like really just picking, 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 learning tablature and playing the the banjo tab and just learning these songs. And uh, I was so keen. My my flatmate at the time she wanted to kill me, but she saw how happy I was. So it was it was okay. <laughs> Imagine like learning banjo would be someone learning the fiddle or something like that. It's like squealing and screeching for could hours be, could at be a the, time. Could be worse. Could be the bagpipes, you know. Right, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I met a we met a German bagpipe player the other day. We're like, why did you learn the bagpipes? He's like, <laughs> nobody was doing it. I liked it, and now he's building his own bagpipes. This German guy in Dresden, fantastic, it's incredible, amazing, right? Why do people do things? I'm an Australian in Munich, and I learn the banjo. It's completely weird, but. <laughs> That's kind of why I wanted to do it. Maybe I wanted to stand out. I wanted to. Sh- I wanted to shine. Well, you know, <laughs> I wanted to be different than everybody else. Yeah, it's good now. I'm. I'm. I'm glad I picked it up. It's, I still look at it sometimes. I'm going. Yeah, it's an embarrassing instrument, but I'm proud to be a banjo player still. You know. I think it sounds fantastic. Just because you you don't hear it that. Often, I mean, you hear it in certain settings, of course, in the folk music scene or in the bluegrass scene, yeah. country music, whatever it is, or even Americana. I guess you hear tinges off it, or you were saying Mumford and Son, or yeah. any of that kind of ilk. But yeah, it sounds really unique and kind of really shines through in the music. It doesn't, it doesn't steal the limelight, but it really shines through. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's it, it depends how you play. I mean, but it's a it's a great instrument played correctly it's it's just you, you know it's when it's played in the right place you're just like oh yeah that's the one it's the that's the ticket <laughs> just gets me every time still when someone plays it well i'm just like wow beautiful so nice fantastic it's like the mandolin I, i'm in love with the mandolin too lately it's so beautiful uh tell us about the album then we made acid folk last year and the you know, year before i guess so there's a couple of recording sessions where jason who lives in munich will come up to berlin and we'll pay we'll uh, record the sessions together in the studio in the bluewell records which is thomas's studio and we are we i started i guess we had most of all the songs probably eight nine seven or eight of the songs ready to go but we recorded pretty slowly. The first session we did, I think we recorded three songs, and we we ended up only taking Eagle Song from that from that first recording session, and that was actually the only song of the entire album that we didn't record directly analog straight to tape because during these sessions, Thomas swapped his studio around to be one hundred percent analog. He doesn't use any computers anymore, so we're using a Tam a Tascam eight track. That's pretty much how. We recorded the entire album, rather other than uh, Eagle Song, which was recorded first a computer run through tape, and then on the other side. So it was a. It's interesting because we, I, I've, we've all obviously recorded to, you know, the re- the regular digital way these these past few decades, and all of us have done that. I I remember that you know it's pretty much the more you spend, the more computers you're using in the end, but um, mm. and. We it's good, it's great for the for different styles of music. Uh, but we 
I mean, I mean, Jason and I probably didn't trust ourselves at the beginning to record straight to a track, but we really practiced and put our effort in. And it's like pre-production. You pre-production just means you've got to practice your ass off, get really good at what you're doing. I mean, the recordings weren't all hundred percent recorded live together. We did do separate tracks, but we still layered it. And it's hard to cut things out when you're using tape. So there's a, whatever you're listening to is, you know pretty real which is a great thing when you're playing live people really understand like oh this is exactly how the album sounds it's really cool so it was scary it's really scary for us because jason and i don't consider ourselves either of us to be wonderful fantastic great musicians like tomas but he him being there helps push us to to do some great takes and uh helps us improve all you know in that sense which is uh which is a great thing i mean we're, we're really proud of ourselves now that we put this album together and all of the other songs we we did only a certain amount of takes and we could layer things on and then at the end of it you're just like wow i did all of that singing take in one go and uh, played all that banjo in one take and all those things you didn't need to go back over because it's also really hard to jump in at this certain moment because you screwed up the banjo and start playing from this moment <laughs> when you were on tape because we're going okay ready ready and then click and you're like you have to record and you can't just you can't just go back and you know maneuver everything around digitally to make everything sound perfect or like it's being clicked put on a metronome or something like that so i don't even think we used metronomes even so we were really really old school we didn't we didn't use anything but that's what was scary about it because we're just like, oh, we are really recording an album here that we want to push and spend a lot of money on and promote. And is this going to sound good? We're really scared. But hey, I mean, I think I think it worked. We we really we spent a lot of time on it. We were really pushing ourselves in like performing and and recording pre production when it's coming before you recording the sound, doing choosing different microphones. Uh, for the singing, for the vocals, for that, just getting that right sound before you press the record button. Because afterwards with tape, you can't really do much either unless you want to put it back into a computer and, and screw around with it. But we didn't also want to do that too much. We kind of wanted to really get it as nat natural sounding as possible. Is the album available on, did you, did you cut any on vinyl or is it... Uh, purely a digital uh, yeah we have we have vinyl cds and it's all it's on digital so it's on um spotify and apple music and everything like that too Bandcamp and all those different things so yeah it's available everywhere mixed by tucker martin which i forgot to say who's the guy in the united states who's been doing a lot of the americana stuff or punch brothers indie stuff like my morning jacket rem he was one of his first big what first big bands he was mixing a lot of a lot of uh, big stars uh, there's one another band jason and thomas like a lot i can't remember his name at the moment but anyway we did mix with him and it was fantastic to work with such a such a well-known name and great talent so that was really really cool as well, then we got mastered by Doug Van Sloan, who's a guy who works with Bright Eyes and uh, First Aid Kit, oh, yeah. and he's really, mm. really good as well. So that's uh, at the end of the production that was just like, oh, yeah, this is really it's good. I think we got away with it. <laughs> pressing, record, pressing the record button on the tape machine, and we got away with it in the end. Oh, such a relief, my God. Yeah. <laughs> For the next record, would you go through the same process again, or what, what would you change, if anything, to the 
that way now that you've done it and it's in the bag and you've got the the tangible thing in your hands. Oh yeah. What what would I do now? I think I I mean our what we'd love to do is to record more everything live, like do everything, just even push it further and practice more and go in really, really well rehearsed and go in and, and crack some live, live recordings out. We've done, we've done a couple, we've done one live recording session where we recorded one of the songs live. It sounds, it sounds great. It sounds really, 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 really nice. We're quite happy with it. We're not happy with the recordings yet of the takes, but we know it's, it's possible. It's absolutely possible if we, if we work on the songs enough and uh, we're well, well rehearsed, there was no reason why we couldn't just do a, almost a, pretty much a live album. Now we want to push ourselves, you see. That's what that's what Thomas did to us. He's like, we're, before we'd be like, no, we're going to the studio shaking with our hands and pressing record. And But now we're, we're getting more confidence. So this is it's a great thing. Yeah, really, really good. And some shows lined up also on the on the back of the album. I mean, now that the, the restrictions have somewhat lifted, or at least they've lifted enough to... Mm. Mm. to get back out. You were just saying about the open mic night that you that you host, is that right? I host that, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um well that's that's happening been happening every six for six years now I think we've been hosting that since two thousand fifteen. I'd had a bit of a break last year obviously and we the start of this year there's also many, many months it wasn't happening, but it's on every Sunday in uh, Neukölln in, in Berlin, and it's uh, called the Open Mic Sunday at Kindlestuben. And the, the bar, the restaurant is called the Kindlestuben. And I, I, I went in there and just asked for a bar job a couple of years ago because they were looking for people. And I was working for a couple of Sundays, and it was really dead. And the boss has got like a little tiny little stage in the corner with the spotlights and the, some nice speakers. And he's like, I put in some live music a couple of times and wasn't going really well. And I'm like, man, you don't know any musicians. Like, I know so many musicians. I could fill this place with musicians. He's like, how? But how? I'm like, well, there's a thing called open mic. You know, he's uh, it's not really a big thing in Germany all over the place. Mm. He's from he's from um, Bulgaria, but still lives in Germany a long time. Didn't really know what it was all about. So um, I just started it and took a couple of months to get going. I'd run with flyers around town to other open mics and sort of slip them to other musicians and say, come to my night type of thing. And but it started working, and it's. It's uh, it works now for five years, really, really good, really well, and it's it's a nice bar. It's really cozy. Candles. You walk along. It's on Sonnenallee. I don't know if you know Berlin very well. Sonnenallee is like this big long street where it's mainly Arabic, Turkish places, supermarkets, and, and kebab shops and stuff like that. But it's a real Neukölln is like a very Turkish Arabic area. But also everyone from all over the world, like a lot of Australians, I hear Americans and British people, and every everybody lives here. It's a, it's been it's been cheap rent for a long time, but still not not so much anymore. But this place is somehow it's a Sunday night place. It's a real cozy place. You people you walk past. There's really big windows. People can look in and see the stage from the windows. It's a small enough room that I mean it's it's big enough and small enough. It's about probably squashed fifty people, sixty people. So it's it's really really nice. People can sit down. There's a nice bar, there's a nice lighting, candles everywhere. We have musicians come in signing up early in the night. Now we get about usually about 15 to 20 musicians most weeks, 12 to 20 musicians sometimes. It's really good. And every night we start around 8 o'clock and we go till about quarter, about 9 o'clock and then we have a feature artist. So I have a feature artist that will come on into one of the better known, better, well-rehearsed, more professional musicians will come in and play five songs and then I pass the hat for the musician. They get to keep a bit of money. 
And then we keep going with the open mic till midnight and then it stops. And after that time, we usually have had enough room for 18, 20 musicians or something. If there's a bit less, someone else can come back up and do a couple of uh, numbers. But it's great. I mean, the musicians are there. I've got a culture where everyone is quiet. Like I'll really make sure everyone shuts shuts the hell up and listens to the music and not just being rowdy and drinking. It was at the beginning, it was a bit difficult, but I really wanted this culture where people would stop and listen to each other there's a lot of musicians that play who probably would be just don't don't have any confidence and that and they just never had the space to play so people wouldn't be listening to them and they try and play their song and then they never go back onto a stage again because they're like everyone hates me because i went to a lot of other the open mics and some were great some were okay but never did i see that the people were really trying to be making the person coming onto the stage who's who's scared shitless most of the time uh half of the people giving them the sort of like the time of day and being nice to them and saying, you know, it's going to be great. You're going to be awesome. Everyone's going to shut up and listen to you. And, and so I did this from the beginning. I really wanted to make sure I could, I could make everyone feel welcome and happy and greet them and treat them well. And Cause it's a, it, it's an open mic. You're the host of an open mic. It's kind of one of these jobs where it's like, yeah, my name's Dave and I'm the host of an open mic. And I, I do have the name of a open <laughs> mic host. Dave is the name of the guy who hosts the open mic, but I'm not like this guy who just leaves and walks down the back and gets drunk and smokes cigarettes and right. joints all night and doesn't look after the stage. So people don't really know what to do. So I'm there. I'm very loud and I'm very, um, I'm, I'm very non-apologetic about how I am on stage. I'm like, look, we're here to listen to music. If you don't want to listen and you want to have a conversation, get the hell out of the room. And when the mu- feature act comes on stage, uh, this is where if you want to put some money in a hat, the money goes to the feature act, but we still have four hours of live music. If you think that's worth less than, you know, five euros, you know, this is, it's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's ridiculous. So put some money in the hat for the live music and uh, it works. I mean, it really works. I, I scare people into giving me money and I scare people into <laughs> shutting up and listening to the music. And I've had turnarounds with people amazingly like some people come up to me now and say that was great nights thank you so much within four or five years ago they were the loudest person in the room and and they wouldn't shut up they wouldn't get it they have no idea what's going on so it it, it really it worked and it's uh it's a great thing and i think uh that that's my sort of i don't know that's my how to put your own stamp on things without using that word in the kind of wrong way but you know, to to bring your own yeah, I, I, how you want how you want it to, to run. I, I need to say thank you to Berlin somehow. I, I think that's how I how I do it. I'm just like, okay, I organize this night. This is where all the musicians can go get a stage. People will listen to them, and they can improve. And we've we, we've seen so many people coming in, shaking and terrified, and leaving Berlin two three years later, being incredible musicians. And they wouldn't have got that confidence if it wasn't for places like open mics. And if we treat the people well, if we treat these situations like a crummy open mic hosted by Dave seriously, then I think you were going to get more fantastic musicians out there who actually end up believing in themselves. Because I think, you know, a lot of musicians have no confidence whatsoever. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a shame because some of the best musicians think they're shit, you know, <laughs> it's like, 
what are you talking about? You know, just go out there and play. It, it kind of works both ways, doesn't it? Yeah, I think I know exactly what you It does. It does uh, work both ways. You're right. And then you've got some crummy musicians who just like think they're the bee's knees, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> the, the truth is always somewhere in the middle, David. It's, uh, I think it's a great thing because it's the, yeah, we've probably all played gigs where people are standing talking at the bar or, uh, yeah, yeah, they'd rather be doing something or anything else rather than what's going on yeah. in the room. And if you're in the room to see other bands or to support other artists, whether it's your buddies or some guy you've just seen for the first time or some singer you've yeah. seen for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a great thing to do. And it's not just about the fragility of someone's ego. You know, when people talk about musicians, you said it really well there because there's so many musicians that you, I, and countless other people know that they are. They're kind of delicate souls, you know. They they, mm, don't, mm. they maybe don't have the, the confidence to go up and perform or to put themselves out there in, in such an environment. Yeah, there's a lot. I, I mean, I saw some people. There was a, a girl, I, I remember, a friend of mine from Australia, and she had this fantastic guitar, beautiful guitar, beautiful acoustic guitar, and she's got such a delicate voice, and she'd be up near the microphone and, and playing. She gets so scared that her hand stops touching the strings she's doing like a just playing the pick in front of the strings and singing so softly and i'm just like oh my goodness like uh i just she's so terrified and i've seen and then and in other situations i saw her she played saxophone and she plays like jazz she's like playing fantastic saxophone <laughs> She's like, I only started playing, writing songs five, five, six months ago. And I'm like, well, just keep doing it because you're obviously a fantastic musician. And you're in a, a different situation and you can't, you're not just playing saxophone with your mates. You you get scared on stage, you stage fright. But this girl within six months' time was just like Laura Marling on stage. It was incredible, like the, like like pumping the guitar, screaming. And I'm like, look at the he what the hell happened, like seriously. And you give you give people a little bit of confidence, and you give them a place where they can practice and play for people who say more and more and more people say you're great, keep going, and everyone says that too. Or they're just like, ah, oh, okay, the confidence starts building, and and then yeah, you get someone who's uh, I think she's now I haven't seen her for five years, but I think now she's in Melbourne recording an album, and uh, I, I'm so happy for her because it's just uh, imagine the people that we've lost. I mean, there's, you know how many musicians over there. You know, since music was invented, who just didn't want to do it because they didn't think they were good enough or nobody gave them the spot to play or they weren't paid enough or, I don't know, priorities. People say, you shouldn't be a musician, you should get a real job, and they listen to that person who says that, and you're just like, ah, no, <laughs> <laughs> don't be like that. This is your passion, and you, know, you can't have life a good life without your passion. What's the use of living? So Acid Folk, the album you can you can find on uh, directly from our website or on Bandcamp if you're looking to buy a vinyl or a CD or our EP we have as well. Uh, we have it all on, the, on, on Spotify and we have it on Apple Music and we have our lovely videos you can check out on YouTube on the Beyond the Boys YouTube channel and we also have the website, the www.yonderboys.com. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, all of those things. We don't have any Twitter because we've got nothing important to say. So, 
Um, I'm not thinking she needs to say otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> you know, depends on where you look at it, I guess. We're political enough that we don't need to be on Twitter and telling everyone about it every single day. So, um, well, Trump's we not are, a thing anymore, so you don't need to be on Twitter. Right? That's true. I mean, we don't we don't need to. He's not even on Twitter either, so that's kind of a great thing. No, he's, he's, uh, been, he's been sent he's to the step or whatever, isn't he? <laughs> What's the other one? Although called I'm, Parler I'm sure or quite, something there? Yeah, right, though. All the nutters. Ooh, I mean, it's bad if you okay. get banned from Twitter and that's where you end up, I guess. It's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's in the, in the, sitting in the corner or something like that. Strange, very strange. America, love Just it. Be, Gotta love it. Uh, yes, it's definitely a, a bit of America, isn't it? <laughs> Tell us a guilty pleasure then, David. <clears throat> a guilty pleasure? Predominantly, yeah. Yeah, Whitney Houston's my guilty pleasure. It's quite I, I, one, I yeah. really love guilty. I mean, I could say Dolly Parton, but that, that makes perfect sense. Why That's I would love really Dolly guilty, Parton? Right? Yeah, exactly right. You know. But Whitney Houston introduced me to, uh, you know, what it was like to to be a to be a man. I think when I was a kid, I was listening to Whitney Houston, looking at the 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 vinyl. That first uh, album of hers just sold. <laughs> Millions, eh? Just by the sheer bucket load, eh? I, I dance with somebody. I, I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't take my eyes off her, and and listen to and then listening to the music at the same time. I I think it was the really is this the first time I was struck by by how great music is and how beautiful women are at the same time. <laughs> a, a fatal combination if there ever was one, you know. <laughs> it was Amen. yeah that. Yeah, and I can listen to it now. I mean, even a, a flatmate of mine was walking around the other day, just mumbling, and I'm like, "What are you? What are you singing?" She's like, "I want to dance with somebody." I'm like, "Ah, oh, yeah, <laughs> stop it." Yeah, I know. I love it. And you know, I mean, Dolly Parton wrote the uh, "I Will Always Love You," right? So she sung that too, didn't she? In the end, yeah, yeah, yeah. God bless I, I Dolly Parton kind of, too. I was going to say exactly. She's kind of somewhat. You well, I, I guess the kids these days say, if you know, you know. Right? And I guess the only part is one of them because she's incredibly talented. She plays, I don't know how many musical instruments she can sing, like ringing a bell and all that. You know, and she's she seems like a good person as well. You know? Yeah, she's uh, very giving. She's got, she's got thoughtful. her heart in the right place. She's like organizing book drives for kids who don't have enough money. And she, one time I think there was these huge bushfires in forest fires in Tennessee so she gave every every family a bunch of money and you know she donated all this money to Pfizer or something for the vaccine for mm. corona or something as well so she's very very thoughtful and she's a very kind and giving person and I don't know she she's so funny too so it's like she's a she's but like self-deprecating you know yeah as well yeah very much so you know I was the thing she said she's like you know People call me stupid and blonde, but I'm neither of those, you know. So, love that. <laughs> she can, uh, I think if we can point anyone in the right direction, if you go and look at the, I don't know how many years ago it was, it's maybe not that long ago, but the horse set at Glastonbury a few years ago, you know, you get, a, yeah. you get the crowd right there, you know, right in the pub. Uh, I think they have a yeah. kind of classic, I don't know what they call it, but it's like Neil Diamond did it one year and then yeah. did it the next year. All that kind of stuff. They bring it. I Lionel think Richie, I think's done it. The Rolling Stones did it one year too, I think. Right. So, on the flip side of that, and since we've had a guilty pleasure, uh, tell us someone you really don't get. You know, you're just a bit either bemused by it all, or you're just kind of scratching the beard, thinking, uh, "Yeah, I don't get it." 
Ed Sheeran. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, but I want to mention yeah, that guy's name. I, I really don't. I really don't get it uh, at all. It was. Uh, I'm. St- I still don't really understand. I. I could also say Mumford and Sons, but that's past. I, I think Ed Sheeran's still still up there as people listening to this guy. And I don't know anybody who's listening to him. But I, I was think having he's a, the biggest on Spotify, if I remember. Right. right yeah. I was speaking to a friend, my one of my friends in Australia wanted to put out a, a single, and he's, he, he was very self-deprecating. He put out a video, like, the day before. He's like, hi, guys, I'm going to release my video, and, you know, I'm not Ed Sheeran, but I hope you can have a look. And I'm like, what the – what are you talking about? You're not Ed Sheeran. Thank <laughs> God you're not Ed Sheeran. Why don't you shut up? <laughs> right. And, like, who of us – who listens to Ed Sheeran? He's like, plenty of people listen to Ed Sheeran. And I'm like, yeah, but, I mean – Name me someone over twelve years old who actually listens to Ed Sheeran and thinks he's worth listening to. This, this, I mean, come on. It's, I mean, I'm, of course, there's millions of people out there, but we're all musicians here. We don't need to talk about Ed Sheeran. We don't need to self-deprecate and say I'm not Ed Sheeran. I mean, this is like you might as well give up the ghost straight away. It's really freaks me out. I watched, I watched this movie yesterday. I can't remember. Was it from some? director oh god yeah i haven't yeah, yeah. i haven't seen it because i've been i think i've been awful like awful, I, awful I might movie. Be sick or whatever awful movie but but ed sheeran's in it and it's like he he's yeah. playing ed sheeran but he's also playing ed sheeran because he's the best musician in the world the best pop musician in the world and i'm like why why is this like he they call him what, like he's like i thought it was the this i mean he's he's, he's being He's being he's being a bit sick of this the way they're, they're playing him to be that person to be a bit of a dick, but it's still like well, I don't know why <laughs> people. Th- I listen to the music, and that's the thing. I, I I understand there must be talent there. He was a street musician. He's put him, mm. you know, he's done a lot of work. But to me, the music doesn't sound. I can't tell the difference between him and Beyonce, so I don't get what what is actually going on. It's just these musicians and songwriting teams in in the United States putting all their stuff together to is the right word, eh? create create a lump, a wall of sound that is auto-tuned. And I'm like, I don't under-fucking-stand that at all. I, I think that's not music anymore. It's really, it's just, it's it's candy and it's, it's uh, sugar and it's nothing good for anybody and it's not healthy to listen to. And I don't think anyone should be really listening to it because it's, it's, it's really sick that, that they're just pumping out like uh, just muck. For people to listen to and to throw away it's just you know, one after the other just you don't listen to again you don't listen to albums anymore no one listens to a full album from start to finish anymore right. unless you're over a certain age group and that's how we're supposed to be writing songs but now we're getting told no you have to make a song that's in the first five seconds you got to catch everybody's attention you're just like oh that's the last thing I'm doing when I start writing this song is thinking, how is everyone on Spotify going to feel about my music? That, that's, that's going to destroy your songwriting career straight away, right? Definitely. There's a, God. what was it Ed Sheeran did? I, I, had a, I had a pod conversation with someone, I, but the, the person I was talking to was really pissed off because Ed Sheeran just turns up in a stadium and it's him and a loop pedal, right? And he's acoustic guitar. And if, yeah, I, right, turned, right. if I paid... 150 bucks or 200 bucks a ticket or whatever his ticket prices go for i'd imagine they're at the top end i'd be a bit pissed off i just if, if i just turned up at this guy turns up on the screen and he's uh you know it's just him and a guitar and a loop pedal and you think is that it just you know, start throwing coins at him hey? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like really expensive busking you know it's kind of yeah absolutely yeah. but that's i mean it's kind of, kind of uh, sorry kind of funny in that way sort of like 
I'm just going to go busking and everyone's already paid for the tickets, so I don't have to worry anymore. So very, very Although cheeky. Although he did try very, to be a bit hip. Cheeky. His last album, he tried to be a bit hip and get Chris Stapleton to right. on one. He did a duet with him. I don't even know what it was called. I didn't listen to it, but I like yeah, Chris right. Stapleton. Uh, he's got a fantastic voice. I was First he time does. I heard his voice, I was just like, wow. I saw him in Berlin a couple <laughs> yeah, of years ago. It was yeah, a spectacular. Yeah. He he could sing anything too. He doesn't need to be a country singer or whatever. Whatever no, he says, uh, sees himself back as. Catalog. Yeah, exactly. His back catalog's got some kind of, I guess, like they soul, branded it isn't Southern it? rock. He's that he did some called the Johnson Brothers. Just quite yeah, good right. Uh, true. And he also true. did that. Uh, if it could have been for love, the Adele song, but I forget the bluegrass band he was in when he did it. Steel, steel drivers, I think they're called. Something like that. Yeah, I, I do remember yeah. something like that. Yeah, he's an amazing singer. Next question. Fantastic. Yes, he he's great. So we, we we ended that note on a high there. That was quite nice, right? So we did end up <laughs> Yeah, you see, Edison's not even interesting to talk about. We end up start talking yeah, about just, Chris we just, Stapleton. We just, we just skipped over that. Uh, favorite <laughs> venue? Favorite venue, David? Since you've, you've been around a long time, you've played many a venue, I'd imagine. What's a, uh, a place that sticks in your mind that you've you've played? That I've played. Oh. Hmm. Yeah, it's a very good question. I'd say, I mean, if, I, if I've if i played a venue that was, was really great, was probably, I guess, the, it's the one, one in, what was it, the, hmm, this is difficult. I think the old Privat Club in Berlin was a super great venue, uh, but I think I'm going to go with the, the Ampere in Munich because it's sort of like a – it's off the back of the, um, the venue called the Mofatala there. It's a smaller venue, but it still fits about uh, – probably fits about 300, 400 people standing up. It's got a downstairs and an upstairs so people can go up the front and sort of look down onto the stage as well as you've got the, the floor in front and it sort of goes around – I guess, suppose 180 degrees, you can stand around the stage, just not at the back of the stage. And this is a really, really beautiful venue for me that I've played at Technics in, in Munich when you're, when you're on stage. I mean, the, the Germans know how to make a concert sound really, really great. We played, I played there just with Jason and myself. We, the reason I would say it as well is because we, we, that was the night we, uh, supported, uh, Billy Bragg in, in Munich as well. So that was a full, uh, room of people coming to see Billy, Billy Bragg and Jason and me when we'd been playing together for about a year and I was still trying to learn how to play banjo playing in front of all of these people. And that was a fantastically, it was a great memorable night of my life as well. You're doing sound check and then up comes this guy on stage with silver, like a silver fox. He's like, G'day, mate, how's it going, Dave, Jason, or <laughs> Billy Bragg, are you right? And uh, we're just like, holy shit, that was a – I played a few gigs there, but that was a pretty memorable – stage for me and uh, for, for a few reasons i played an album release there with my other band too but that's a beautiful stage super open like you just feel like the room is big and it's not just squashed there's a lot of space above your head above to the ceiling and just a lot of a lot of space for the crowd to see the stage and it's all standing too so it's a really really nice spot fantastic sounds great yeah. Uh, the first time I saw Billy Bragg, I think, was 1986 or 1987. Yeah, yeah. some time ago. <laughs> it was, I've seen him a yeah. couple of times, but yeah. There was another guy supported him one, I saw him in Glasgow at the Barrowlands. It was Ted Hawkins. I don't know if you ever heard of Ted Hawkins. No. He used to have all these kind of obscure blues guys playing with him and stuff like that, you know. So mm -hmm. Ted Hawkins turns up, 
Glasgow Barrowland, Ted Hawkins come on and then Billy Bragg come on and then the band come on at the end. So you get like two and a half hours of great music. But Ted Hawkins turns up and he's uh, he's pulls up an empty beer case, sits down and just has the whole crowd like just right there in his hand, you know, this kind of old blues type singer who'd been in and out of jail and all sorts of uh, <laughs> interesting life. Yeah, I think Ted Hawkins left. But fantastic sounding voice, but he was a really... I think he left the stage too. He played Country Roads. I think that was right. the last song he played. You know, he had like a thousand <laughs> mad Glaswegians singing a John Denver song about that quite happily. You know, so I think Fantastic. you know, you know, when you have a bit of stage presence, when you could get away with that, you know. Amazing, fantastic. That's so cool. Yeah, if you, you can get away with playing karaoke? Country Roads. <laughs> yes, definitely. If oh. you get a karaoke song, a go-to karaoke song, David. If you're ever in the mood. Uh yes, I've got two. Get rhythm from Johnny Cash and uh, Water and Waterloo. Uh, the what's it was? Sorry, Waterloo from Abba. Uh, Abba. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, this is this is showing. I like. I'm showing my my vocal range here. Right. So yeah. I can get very low and I can get very well, high. Yeah. So yeah, exactly, exactly. Very, very. Uh, very feminine song and a very very masculine song at the same time. So I do like that. Pretty pretty groovy at the same time, I would say. So <laughs> yes, as well as get rhythm, get rhythm's great. It's like kind of classic Johnny Cash number, and at two and a half minutes or something, and you're done. Yep, yep, yep. That's right. Well, that's like one of. I mean, our song "Look at What You Done" on the Yonder Boys albums, one minute forty eight or forty nine or something. Love those fast songs over and done with. Quick. Think people think you're cheating when you do that, right? But it's no, you're not cheating. You, it's it's a thing. You know, it's it's supposed to be like this. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, well, Johnny Cash's last, songs are all pretty quick. So exactly. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Last question for you: Who should we be listening to? Tell us someone. That maybe we're not familiar with, but you would recommend adding to a playlist. Well, there's a lot of people. I could I could put a lot of people on on that on that list from from Berlin, I suppose. If I if I could say someone new, I'd probably I'd probably say Michael Michael Brinkworth, who you, you just talked to. He's he's fantastic. He's a real uh, star, up and coming star. He should be because his uh, albums is really he's a fantastic songwriter. He's a prolific songwriter. He just won't stop writing songs and won't stop recording, and and comes out with such beautiful music that I I'm I'm, I'm stunned at how much how much uh, how many songs somebody can actually write. How how someone can write a single a song or two every single day. And I, I'm scared to know how much, how many songs he's actually written, and how many don't even end up on the albums that he's writing. So um, he's a, he's a, I mean, he's a, he's a, a favorite of a lot of people in in Berlin, and it's really um, good to listen to him when you when you hear uh, someone who you know writing such special, important songs that makes that touches so many people. Even if I didn't even like him, I would see. How many people he touches when he's playing? It's a it's a it's a beautiful thing to see, very very cool. So that would be that would be my my local tip anyway. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's your checks in the post, as they say, David. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's so many. There's there's another. There's a girl called Mo, Moan who's who's here. M uh, M O N E. She's from she's from Holland, and she's a very much more of a dark. Uh, dark indie rock artist, which is and she's actually fantastic as well. Um, but there's so many I could I could go on forever. If there's somebody that I don't think anyone listens enough to, it's Towns of Ansant. That would be my next one. 
<laughs> because every time I listen to him, I just want to listen to Townsend Sand forever. And uh, I know a lot of people know him if you're a musician, but a lot of people who are not musicians still don't know who Townsend Sand is. And I find that a damn shame because he's he's one hell of a songwriter. This guy, uh, he was, and uh, I can't I can't believe that he didn't get bigger than he ever was. Uh, but he he deserves he deserves more fame even than his death. He deserves more fame because what a songwriter, what a voice, and what a life! Amazing stuff. Yeah. Uh, that's a great note to leave it on, and uh, I wish you well and the the other guys in in the band. Thanks, Craig. Good Thank luck you with very all. Much. Good luck with all the recording that's to come, and uh, many a gig. If you're ever in Dortmund, swing by, or I'll swing by rather. But, I would, I would love that. I don't know if you'll get the double bass up the stairs, you know. To be honest, so. <laughs> <laughs> might, might be easier for me to come to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great. Okay. Yeah, no problem. That sounds great. I would love to get a gig in Dortmund. I've always tried a lot, but I haven't had any luck yet. But trying, trying. Thank uh, you. David, all the Perfect. best. Thanks, Thanks for very much, man. Yeah, it was a pleasure. It was great fun. You can follow Can't Find My Way Home on Instagram at can't.findmywayhome, on Facebook at Expat Music Pod, and of course you can find us on Spotify, Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts from, you'll find us there. Until the next one, this is Greg saying, cheers. Cheers.